The city responded with a public record notice that said, you cannot build on this site. So the, the broker that was selling it was hamstrung by that. It couldn't market the development opportunity with this knowledge from the city or with the city's decision ruling on it. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with today, Preston Walls. How you doing, Preston? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing well and looking forward to our conversation. Hey, likewise. Here. A little bit about Preston. He's the founder and CEO of Walls Property Group currently manages a portfolio of 70 buildings valued over $300 million. He's got 16 years of real estate experience located in Seattle, Washington. So with that being said, Preston, you want to get the best of our listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, I grew up in a real estate family. My grandfather was a professor and started a student housing business on the side. And my father was a real estate developer. So I, I grew up with it in my blood. I went to school on the East Coast and Worked in Manhattan for a few years. Thought I'd get away, but it called me back and been working in the industry since 2002. 
moved back to Seattle, worked with my dad for six years. We did some ground up together and some renovations and downturn came and he said, uh, it's time for him to move on. And I've been doing it on my own since then. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you learn from your dad? I know that's such an open-ended, broad question, but just some highlights. Two things come to mind. One, just the practical skill aspect of being a developer and what it takes to put a new construction development together. That was really valuable just as a skill set. And the other, he's been a, a critic of mine as well. And if there's ever a reason not to do a deal, he's the first one to point it out. And <laughs> especially in the early early years where you're you're trying to get over the hurdle of, uh, should I do this? Does it make sense? Just trying to get the conviction and the confidence to do it. It was helpful to move forward with something in the face of someone that you respect and trust pointing out the reasons you should not do it. It was helpful to move forward in the face. So going against what someone who you trusted said not to do? I, Did I hear that? You, I, you have to be really committed and feel really strongly about the deal to move forward with it, to purchase it when someone is pointing out the ways it could go wrong. More years of experience, someone who is very familiar with you and you're familiar with them and, and you know, likely he has the best intentions for you. So how do you ultimately, and if you have a specific example, even better, come to a realization that, you know what, I know he has the best intentions and he has more experience and he's saying I shouldn't do it, but for X, Y, Z reasons, I'm going to move forward. One deal comes to mind. I was living abroad at the time, but I had managed to put this building under contract. I'd done my due diligence from afar as much as you can do without seeing the property he was in Seattle and attended the walkthrough inspection. And what type uh, of property? It's a 26 unit multifamily building Okay. in Seattle. And his report was there are five active leaks in the parking garage and it wasn't raining out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've got water issues. There's a lot of deferred maintenance. The, Tenant quality, some of the units is fairly poor. What else do you say? The roof needs to be replaced. You should not buy this building. I would not buy this building. <laughs> that, right? right. Yeah, in he, summary. Yep. Okay. He, he got caught up on all of these, maybe multiple plumbing leaks are not cosmetic things, but he got caught up on what I viewed as resolvable, fixable items. And mm-hmm. the price that we were under contract at was a discount enough for fixing everything that could possibly be wrong with it. So I moved ahead anyway with that property and I still own it today. It's been a great investment. What number transaction was that in terms of your transaction history? It was probably in the 12 to 15. Okay. But even the first transaction that we did, this dynamic played (laughs) out the same, same way. I, I, I remember it was a triplex in Seattle. And the first deal you do is the hardest one to get over that hump. And I had created so many models of so many properties that were listed. And I had done the architectural work, adding another unit to the building and doing some work in the existing units. I had 
bids from contractors. I had all of these variables ironed out and he was still telling me of all the things that could go wrong and the reasons not to do it. And I moved forward with that one as well and still own that one today. And ultimately he was supportive of my decision and congratulatory of how the deal played out, but it was hard getting there. You mentioned number one, that thing that you learned was the skill set required to put a development deal together. I've never put a development deal together. I have a lot of respect for developers because of all the stuff that they go through and some of it I'm not even aware of. What are the skill sets or some important skills that are required for being a developer? One of the biggest ones or probably the hardest one for me is capacity to take risk. It could be because you're in markets where entitlements take a long time. The soonest you can acquire the land and deliver the product is probably five years in Seattle. So you're looking at a really long time frame between when you start spending money and when you eventually see a return on that investment. So a lot can change over that course of time and you need to be able to withstand financially your balance sheet needs to be able to withstand that and you need to have a pretty accurate idea of where things are going to be. And that's rental market, that's construction cost market, that's cost to get there, it's carrying costs, all of those things that go into it. That's probably the most challenging one that I face. High level, you said the soonest is five years. What is that timeline? And just walk us through high level steps from day one to year five. I'd say three years for entitlements. So you purchase property, you need to get a master use permit, which is the permit that allows you to apply for a building permit, get your master use permit, then you can apply for the building permit. So roughly three years for that, 18 months for construction, six months for lease up and financing. Got it. You've gone through the entitlement process what are some things that surprised you when you first went through it? <laughs> wow. There's so many unknowns and uncertainties and you're continually learning new ones. Environmental risk is big. I'm building a site now that's on a steep slope just to get the variance to build in an environmentally critical area added probably another 18 months to the process Historic risk is another one that you don't really know when that's going to pop up. So there are historic zones and historically designated buildings, but there can be historic aspects of a building, a, a facade that the local jurisdiction wants to keep, and that can significantly hamper your project or the scope of what you want to do. Have you come across that? I have. <laughs> I purchased a building in a historic district. The structure itself, separate from the district, had a historic easement on it, which meant that they couldn't alter the exterior facade of the building. It didn't say anything about the interior. The interior is essentially open for redevelopment, whatever you want to do. But ultimately, the combination of those two having to get approval and sign off in order to get a permit from both of those entities 
was painful and time consuming. And ultimately I moved on to a different deal. Do you currently do ground up development? I do. I'm building a 60,000 foot building right now. And I've got another project that should break ground later this year. So you love the pain. You're in it. and Well, you know, I, one- I view the, the ground up construction is really fun. It's really challenging. It's exciting. I love the vision component of seeing a site, seeing what it can become and producing something there. But it's hard from a risk standpoint. It's hard from a balance sheet standpoint. It ties up a lot of liquidity and ties up a lot of risk on your balance sheet. So I use it sparingly and I do the projects relatively infrequently. The value add syndication is my bread and butter. And there's a lot less risk in taking an existing asset, making it better, repositioning it and turning it around more quickly to stabilize it. So just from an internal assessment standpoint, whenever you're looking at an opportunity, what must be in place in order for you to do ground up development since you as you just mentioned, value add, lower risk, and less headaches. You didn't say that, but I'm assuming that's the case. <laughs> yes. So what's got to be there? There has to be a really good opportunity and a really compelling reason. The reason is usually a vision component that the market hasn't seen. So the building I'm working on now that's under construction I bought it on a cap rate because a previous developer had tried to entitle it and did kind of a half-assed job with it, with the city. And the city responded with a public record notice that said, you cannot build on this site. So the, the broker that was selling it was hamstrung by that. It couldn't market the development opportunity with this knowledge from the city or with the city's decision ruling on it. So it worked on a cash flow basis and I basically got the development potential as a zero cost option to work on. And so that became a side project in parallel to operating the units that were there. And you go one step down the road and if you're successful, you go to the next step. And all of a sudden I had a variance from the city to build a building there and then then I could move forward. So I've got to have a strong value proposition that that gives me a a cost advantage over the rest of the market. And that helps me feel more comfortable on taking the risk of going into a development site. Tell us about the deal that you've lost the most amount of money on. Probably the worst deal I did was the historic one. And part of the reason I bought it was the purchase price was really low and what was up, it? It was $450,000 for this commercially zoned retail property on kind of a main street in Seattle. Okay. So I sold it for 20% more than that, but I lost a year and a half of time opportunity costs that I could have been doing something else. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was That's a pretty good deal. though. That, if you haven't lost money on any deal and the worst deal is that you made 20% on the purchase price, understand opportunity costs is in play, but from a dollars and cents standpoint. Well, the other factor that goes into it is I'm typically not a seller of buildings. I've only sold three or four properties over my career. So my goal is to 
own properties for long term, not sell them and hang on and realize the cash flow that they produce. And what are your thoughts on selling them, then doing a 1031 and going into a larger deal with more cash flow? I know you've thought about it. (laughs) I've definitely thought about it. Every time I think about that, every time I'm tempted by it, my mind goes back to Robert Kiyosaki and the question of whether you want to carry buckets or you want to build a pipeline. And it's tempting to carry some buckets and make some money, hire some bucket carriers. But ultimately, the pipeline business is holding on to assets long-term and getting the cash flow from them. Just help me understand a little bit more because with the 1031, you are still holding on to the pipeline. You're just building it out with new parts. So help me understand that. Yeah, there's a leakage from your pipeline every time you transact, right? So there's frictional transaction costs. It's expensive to buy and sell property. There's overhead on your part as the sponsor to find a new deal. There's risk of not finding as good a deal as the last one. There's time involved in creating and reproducing it, all of which is time that you could spend working on another deal, a new deal that's more accretive to your portfolio. I love it. Thanks for sharing your thought process. It's good to hear I get a lot of pushback on that one. In my syndications, that's part of what you're signing up for with me is not having an exit time frame. My LLCs are open-ended and I plan to hang on for a long, long time. And it's hard to think about assets, real estate that way when the majority of the market is on a five to eight year time hold horizon. What did you do in Manhattan for a few years before you came back to Seattle? I was an indentured servant and a couple of different investment banks. <laughs> okay. Any takeaways you got from that that you've applied to real estate business? Yes. My breaking point occurred about 7 p.m. one evening. My cubicle was across the hall from an office. It was the guy's office that you want to sit in. It's, it's where you want to get to. And every night that he was not traveling, he said goodnight to his kids on speakerphone from his office. And it tore up my 20-something-year-old soul that hadn't started thinking about having kids. But I knew that that was not where I wanted to be. Working for someone environment, and I wanted the passive income that would allow me the flexibility to work when and as much as I wanted to. How soon thereafter did you quit? I think I lasted four or five more months after that. My dad had been working on me for years to come back to Seattle, but I was certain that I was going to work on Wall Street and that's what I wanted to do. But ultimately, I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) I moved back and we started renovating apartment buildings together and haven't looked back since. Based on your experience as an investor, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say, don't be afraid to go really deep into a narrow niche. I see a lot of investors that get distracted by the the shiny new thing of, there are so many different ways to be successful in real estate. Success for me has come from being 
really narrowly focused and concentrating on a specific niche, which is multifamily in a narrow geography within Seattle. What's your narrow geography within Seattle? There are five zip codes within Seattle that are within a 15 minute drive from my office. That's my geography. Have you ever bought outside of those five? I have not. How many transactions have you done within the five? About? Uh, 40, 45. So I introduced you manages a portfolio of 70 buildings. So I'm assuming multiple buildings within one transaction. Some of those buildings are buildings that I manage for my family. And we have a small third-party property management business as well. Ah, got it. What's the name of that company? Walls Property Management. Okay. I understand where the name came from. (laughs) We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I sure am. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. Best ever book you've recently read? The Snowball by Alice Schroeder. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not understanding or respecting historic designations. What about something we haven't talked about? Maybe on a recent deal, yeah, hey, I wish I, I would have done a little bit different. I'd say environmental on an acquisition where a bank was not involved. So a bank did not require a phase one was paying cash. And that came back to bite me on a subsequent refinance round. Okay. So takeaway is always get phase one. Yes. (laughs) What's the best ever deal you've done? I'd say it was the first triplex that I did. Just being able to have the conviction to buy something with a lot of reasons not to I still own it. It feels good to still own that asset. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Our website, wallspropertygroupre.com. We've got newsletters are up there and I love to connect with people. If you're ever in Seattle or want to chat, look me up. Preston, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your experience, what you learned from your dad, who was a real estate developer and you worked with him. Entitlement process what the components of that process and then also why you do not 1031 and why you focus on long-term holds and building out to use your metaphor pipeline versus having the bucket. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe.